0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
1: Hello, it's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. Three points. What a three points. Now, let's not lose focus on that fact. We got three points. Not just three points, three wins on the bounce. Without Mitro, Today, without Tom Kearney, and the pubs are open, what a time to be alive. Yes, Fulham managed to hang on against a relatively toothless Nottingham Forest with a gritty, defensively solid display after Harry Artis sweetly struck thunderbasted, blessed the top right-hand corner of the Nets on the stroke of half-time. We'll forget the fact that we only managed two shots on target, both of which were outside the box. A win is a win after all. It was, however, a far from perfect display and the worry that we aren't creating quite enough chances still lingers on at these late stages of the season. Here to offer their analysis, their tuppence worth, their general breeze, whatever you want to call it, is the podcaster inexplicably known as Prince, Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Today's resident tactician, Mr. Ben Jarman. Hello, everyone. And the man with the highest number of useless Ryanair flight credits on the planet, Don Bess. Hello, hello. Actually, to be fair, most of them are easy jet. Right, okay. But I've got my first
2: refund back from the summer from Norwegian Air, even though I weren't flying to Norway.
1: But yeah. Yiffy. Got, pl- got, well,
2: pl- got plenty of credits to use. I just need next year's <laughs> Euro's flights to come on sale, bro.
1: <laughs> so they're, 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 they're in the bank. They're in the bank. They're, they're not useless, then. I, no, I,
2: they're, not, I, they're, not, they're, not, they're not useless. I just, I just, I'm just <laughs> waiting for them to come or sell. I mean, the only think only, the only airlines which are booked next summer for are Wizz Air and Ryanair, and you want to avoid them as much as possible. So,
1: okay, the, Dom's travel tips. Uh, tune in every week; they're, uh, they're they're golden. And I can just I can only imagine the the long tedious exchange of emails that you've had to uh, distribute amongst the uh, flight vendors in the country. But anyway, enough of that. Let's move on to the game. Let's kick off with some three web reviews. Jack, take it away,
0: son. There were some some good ones, actually. And and often after a win, we we get worse ones. But Frank Miller's Happily Ever Arter, I quite liked. Fulham, Texas's Arter Imitates Life. Louis, there was a couple like this. Um, Louis with Harry Arter's Deforestation. And we had, you know, a couple of that kind of ilk. I think my my favourite was uh, Matt Pollard's Harry Arter Lumberjack. Very
1: good, very good. I like uh, art uh, imitates life. That's uh, that, that's poetic in some. I depth. think we
0: I think we actually might have used that before. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, right. think that, I think that might be actually the name of a podcast at this point.
1: Yeah, well, art is timeless, as is that three word review. So right. um, yeah, we can we can use it for this one as well. So uh, yeah, let's let's talk about the game somewhat. So obviously, it, it reminded me a little bit of the of the uh, the game where Forrest came to the cottage. You know, just the one goal difference. Um, we were very hard to break down. It was some would describe it as a vintage parkable performance. We had obviously Onomer coming in for Tom Kearney. How do you think the midfield three of Reid, Arter and Onomer did uh, in comparison to you know, a side that has Tom Kearney done?
2: I think that there was a lot more pace to the midfield, not in necessarily the players itself, but as in moving the ball through the thirds. I think you could really tell that even from the opening 10 minutes. You know, Kearney may be one of our best creative players, but I often do think, especially this season, we've seen that he, when he's in the side, often the play's a lot slower and it's a lot more passive. Where I think this midfield trio of Reed, Arter, and especially onoma just really brought a lot ma- 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 more grit to the midfield, a bit more physicality, especially with onoma playing a bit further forward. So I think... Although we know how good Ken is, I actually think this midfield suited the way we were playing, especially with no Mitrovic up top.
1: Mm. It's, it's an interesting. I think Onuma was fantastic; had a great performance, and you, you mentioned there. But Tom Kenny slowing things up. This is a thing that is new to his game, I feel, because in the previous season, the season that we went up, he was our dynamic man, making all the chances. Do you think it's just the case that he's being played way too deep or out of position, or we're no longer building a team around him, such as we did in those seasons, or do you think he's just been off form? Don. I
2: think I think it's 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 a bit it's a bit of both, really. I think it is may, maybe some of the injuries that Kenny has had is catching up with him. You've also got to look at the way Scott Park plays football. Yes, we've had a few games where we have played zipping it across the park, but a lot of the time it's been quite passive. You know, this game reminded me of a couple of other away games. Really, It reminds me of maybe that the Hull victory and the Blackburn win, where it was sort of two moments of not. I guess the goal against back wasn't a moment of quality, but you know, if you look at Carriero's goal away at Hull, there, there it was a moment of quality that won us the game. But we did keep it quite assured at the back, really. So I think that you know it, it is part of the way Scott Parker says it us, but I also think that. Kenny's injuries may be catching up with him, but you know, I'm not saying you know Kenny should never come back into the team because you know he he's, our, he's the club captain, you know he's probably one of the best technical players in the side, but it was fairly it was it wasn't that like it was evident across the game it was evident literally from the first ten minutes that we were getting the ball
1: up to our front three and a lot lot quicker today. Mm, it was it was solid as you said I mean we saw, we saw with the challenges that Arthur put in and Harrison Reid and so on do you, do you think that we there's a chance if say if Tom Kenny has brought back in the side and he's fit. Do you think there's a chance that we still just might remain with this three? Or do you think that... Uh, how would you look... How would you set up your midfield in the next game if if Kearney were to be fit?
2: I was, I was, I was just going to say, it's probably the best we've seen a midfield play for us since the restart. I thought so. So that is there a reason to bring Kearney back in just because he's your captain? But I don't know what Jack thinks.
0: Um, I would suggest that if Tom Kearney didn't play today and wasn't in the squad, then that suggests that he is injured right or picked up a knock at the very least in the Birmingham game it is what's being suggested that if we've got to a point now that if he's not fully fit then he shouldn't start that game if he Mm. is I still think you have to start Tom Kenny I still think we look less penetrating uh, and less kind of aggressive like you said George at the very beginning (laughs) we had two shots in target both from outside the area you know Mm. we didn't create very much we didn't It wasn't like today was a a vintage Fulham performance. What it was, was a very effective away performance that that got the job done. And I'm sure we'll come on to it. But I thought Parker actually made all of the right decisions today. But Fulham weren't good. Let's let's make this very clear. We weren't good. We didn't create. We relied on an individual moment slash another another long shot to, to actually give us victory. What we did was defend it very well. But ultimately... You know, if we, we have Tom Kearney on the pitch, we have more chance of creating things in the final third. And, and what we said in the podcast post QPR, even, but, you know, equally at, at the weekend was that when Josh Onimer came on, Tom Kearney's game in, improved markedly mm. because he has someone, one, to bounce off and two, who allows him to play a little bit further up the pitch. And actually, I think that if you can get them on the pitch together at some point, that's actually where we're going to see the best of Tom Kearney again.
1: It'll be interesting to see how what Parker does provided we have a, a, a full a midfield lineup that's fit because I mean Harry arter, who you would argue would be a player that was sort of on the fringe if everyone is firing all, all cylinders, had a he was awarded the man of the match performance. I don't know whether everyone would agree on that and a, a fantastic goal. It really looked tough, especially in the first half with his hard tackles in, in midfield Second half will come on to his performance. but Ben, overall, how, how would you rate his, uh, his performance and what he brought to the side? I'm still a little bit hit or miss on Arta, to be honest with you, but I think in the overall shape
3: of what we were trying to do today, which was clearly go there and be incredibly tight and put a lot of um, pressure on their um, playmakers, I thought that Arta and Reid executed it perfectly um, with Onoma in front of them. I liked the balance of the midfielders, as, as Jack and Dom had already said. And I felt like if we were going to go there with a game plan, which clearly we did, that we executed it very well and Arta was as much as it pains me to say, it, integral to that because he bought the steal. Um, his distribution was really good at times as well, I think, which is something that probably hasn't, has maybe sailed under the radar, but he was looking for the balls out wide quite quite uh, frequently and being positive when he had the ball. Obviously, he leaves his mark on a lot of players, but that's just the way Arta plays. And I feel like we're transitioning now from a team that was trying to play maybe fast-flowing possession-based football into a team that is... Ch- is trying to maybe strangle the life out of other teams and keep it tight at the back. So I feel like we're maybe transitioning into like a playoff style um, over the next few games to to sort of gear ourselves up for, for what the playoffs are actually going to be. I don't, I feel like someone like Jack will probably agree with me there in that he, we feel like our, our style of play is transitioning away from something we thought it was going to be into mm-hmm. something completely different.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a fair and valid Point to raise i think it's also not necessarily a bad thing right we don't ben and i are have been proponents of, of kind of quick kind of transitional games since you know we started this and we talked about the way that we, we just couldn't really get going in the first years of fulhamish in terms of how things worked that first half a season under stavisa where it it felt like it was you know something was coming but it didn't quite click and then when it did click it was absolutely you know, incredible, frankly, about how, how we worked and how we smashed through those transitions. And when we saw that fl- free-flowing Fulham that we all grew to love. And I think that, you know, when you're kind of not weaned on that, because obviously we've seen many different incarnations of Fulham over the years we've been fans. But when you're you, you get that again and you start to be like, oh, wow, I love watching this Fulham play football. It's easy to forget that you can have other ways of winning too. And, you know, ask Cardiff that year that we went up, that Wolves went up and Cardiff went up. They were nobody's favourites as a as a neutral to watch, but what they did do was get the job done. And we're starting to see a, a Fulham, and they raised it actually on Sky, and I thought it was an interesting point, that uh, are a little bit more in the image of Scott Parker. We are a little bit, you know, tough to get through. We are a little bit, maybe not devoid of, of creativity, but we, we're very much a... Uh, we set up and we rely on the players that we we know have talent in the final third to make things happen. So when you actually then look at that in, in comparison, it's it's quite a difficult transition. But today, I think it showed how it can be an effective weapon as long as you have the ability to change things up. At the moment, I struggle with the way that we can't do that if things aren't going our way. But if, if Parker can get that second kind of string going, the fact that we can hold on to leads and have held on to leads so effectively this season is absolutely, you know, impressive and must be given credit. Mm, I think that it's
1: the, it, it's, the, it's the loss of that sense. You, you talked about the, the free-flowing Fulham that we all, grew to love and it was just such a joy to play and it won so much plaudits from either, you know, the neutral, everyone was talking about Fulham, the way that we played, we had this exciting team and then to transition to the way that we play now which is a lot more kind of efficient, less creative, more Parker-esque shall we say. Do you think that this has all been part of some kind of master plan? We, we saw how we we reacted to when we went up, and we tried to play the same style, and we dismantled by teams that are far superior to us, and we hadn't been set up defensively. Do you think this this more solid, kind of stubborn, harder to break down team is is all part of this long term game plan to put us in better stead? Where are we if we are to get promoted?
2: I think what an, an interesting stat you could look at is you know I think we've dropped two points from leading at half-time this season, mm. so I think the way we play works perfectly fine but it does require us to go in the lead first i feel like yeah we can as as we know we can only come back to win from behind if we're playing qpr so um you know i think i understand understand what the sort of game plan is but it does require us to get that goal first and you know it has it did require not necessarily a moment of magic but it did require you know a, a long distance shot which we have we've put in what was that three so far since the restart so, so it's, it's nice to have that have that in our locker but yeah and I, I, I can, you can see what the game plan is and I think that it as long as we go in the lead it that that is what we, we're going to do we are majority going to keep on to lead them a lot of the time because you know we, this team is good at closing out games although the idea of Scott closing out games is just bringing on more defensive players and playing like an eight zero or eight three zero or eight two zero whatever <laughs> he ended up playing against QPR but yeah, I know. I think I think that yeah, it is, as long as we do take the leading games. I think we, we are fairly confident we will get the win. It's just we a lot of the times we don't look like we're going to get the first goal. And I think mm. although I th- or do think today, if you're going on if you're going on the game really until until probably what the 60th 70th minute, I think maybe when Deer Carby came over a Forest, until then they really didn't look like scoring a goal. So yeah, no, I, I think today. Again, was another way for We've seen it a few times a season, as I referred to earlier, that we, we are good at sort of closing out these games. And I think, yeah, I think to, the, the last three games, especially the last two with two clean sheets in a row now, it shows that at the back we are solid enough. Uh, and, it, and it's just a, a matter of going forward. And I think what was the big thing about the win today was that I think they showed it bef- before kick how poor our record is against the other top six sides. And I think getting a win against another top six side today will really boost the confidence of the squad going forward, mm. playing the likes of West Brom in, in a week or two's time.
3: Yes. I mean, that's, what I was, that's what I was trying to say about Like, I think we're just trying to change the way we play to keep other teams out because our record for anyone above eighth is, is absolutely terrible. And I think, obviously when you play a playoff team, you're going to have to keep it tight and you're going to have to have a different philosophy. And it's about just winning games any way you can. And uh, as Dom says, and rightly so, you know, it is startling how our, our offensive um, sort of stats have dropped off and there's a complete lack of rhythm in that front three or four, depending on how you want to line Fulham up. But uh, the most encouraging thing is that we're keeping it tight at the back, uh, even with uh, a right back and a left back, who perhaps are slightly under the levels that they should be. On on the, I actually thought,
2: especially since the restart, it was probably the best Joe Bryan's played today. He looks, he totally looked, agree. he looked a lot, he looked a lot more solid. I don't know if there was some sort of tactical change, I, but it it looked like he wasn't he wasn't bombing on and leaving Ream to cover himself as much as much as he would. I mean, that was that was maybe that one chance where Ream pretty lost the ball, but that was more on, on him as opposed to him covering Joe Bryan's position. So I think. Our defence looks a lot more disciplined today, and it was a back four instead of sometimes a back two with two full backs slightly mm. bombing on. Mm. Yeah, I would yeah. agree. Two and
1: a half. I would say he he, looked, he was in he kept in position today and he was rarely caught out I thought he had a, a very good performance. So who else I thought played very well that um may not get a, a look at him in terms of plaudits was uh, Bobby Decker over Reed. We've spoken before on the podcast about how when he's playing up front by himself he can occasionally look a little bit isolated and so on but I thought he offered us something and whilst he didn't get an awful lot of shots on target uh, which is obviously what you're looking at the striker to do I do do think that he uh, he links us up very well. Don what did you think of his performance?
2: Yeah, I think it was something the commentator noted that, you know, his his work rate and the running he was doing across the front three was was exceptional today. Yes, he didn't have uh, many chances, but neither did anyone. So, so uh, but, but I think, yeah, as, as the leading striker, I guess, if you're going to call it that, I think it was probably the best Bobby Dekadova readers played today. And if we're looking ahead to when Mitrovic comes back into the side... I've not been impressed with Cavalero since the restart. I think he's been quite poor. I think he's been quite poor for a long time, really. I think we've seen... I think his season sort of summarised by some great goals, but overall game, probably not that good. And, you know, I, I would keep Bobby Reid in the front three. I just think that... in if he is going to be in the front three he needs to be drilled to be playing in a wide position we've often seen him being playing too central but I would, I, I would be interested to see maybe a front three if we're looking at who's played best you could argue it's probably been him Knockart, and then you put Mitrovic in because I thought Knockart when he came on today did, did what was needed of him a very good job not just going forward but also defensively as well
1: Yeah I think credit where credit's due with with, <laughs> with Anthony Knockart when he came on I was like here we go and we saw him do this his trademark you know pelting down running chasing absolutely everything and you think oh what to what effect but d- defensively I thought he put in an absolute shift and there was that fantastic block uh, right at the death as well so I thought I, th- I thought he did fantastically well um, I just wanted to uh, bring on to the, a little uh, interesting stat that I found about Mitro is that without Mitro this year we've won five games and drawn one which is just you know a, a, a very interesting stat I thought Jack do you think that when we're without him we're we play better essentially is what i'm trying to get at like why why do you think this this has occurred
0: no i mean i mean i think stylistically occasionally without him we're a little bit more diverse but actively we are more likely to win games you know whatever that statistic says i Hmm. I think we are more likely to win games with alexander Mitrovic on the field there there might have more credence to this i think if if we hadn't a fully fit abubakar kamara firing up front and i don't say that lightly you know my my you know, views on, on Abu and his, his, his kind of weird, chaotic style are, are not necessarily, you know, that well that well uh, matched. But uh, I think that when he has played up front, we've at least had a front three who were, like, really mobile and pressed really high uh, and are able to kind of put the pressure on. I think we saw that at QPR at home and some of those games following that when Mitrovic was missing that allowed us to kind of, like, look at that and be like, oh, OK. But I think today we were... Sl- Really, quite toothless. You know, we like you said, there was no shots from inside the box. We really looked like we we're missing Mitrovic up there, and and you look at someone who like Nisic Skibano, who I actually think played okay. Um, and I think he
2: started the game okay. I think he maybe yeah. sort of de- deteriorated to, uh, after the first twenty or so.
0: Yeah, okay, that's completely reasonable. But in the first couple of in the first half, at least, he beat his man two, three times, and, and, and sort of dinked the ball up into the middle, and then nothing happened no and <laughs> and i think that if you combine that kind of thing with Alexander Mitrovic suddenly you have a threat so it wasn't like we played suddenly a game that wasn't suited to the the style of Alexander Mitrovic it's just that when we i think we've just happened to to have games that have particularly suited the way we play when you know, when he's not been there. So for today, for example, if this had been a game in front of fans at home, Fulham would not have played like that. We played very, very, very like stylistically quite flat. We were just very attritional today and very workmanlike. And there's plenty to be impressed by in that kind of matter, right? But ultimately, when you you have that kind of game and you start to play that style, people get frustrated because actually Fulham in front of a fan base weren't, you know fun to watch we weren't enjoyable what we were was was quite useful and mm. and at, and actively if you have games like that they've they're very good but it doesn't mean that suddenly we're better off without Mitrovic. and and i would stand by that
1: mm. yeah i don't i don't think it's a question of whether we're better off without him it goes without saying though is the top, sc- top scorer in the league is he still top scorer in the league but anyway he's up there Not but it, yeah, he's, he's one behind i guess i was just wondering whether when we're less reliant on him it brings out the best of our other players and if there was somehow a way that we could combine this within our game plan to make sure that we're less reliant on him and we're not I don't know it's just it's a it's a tough one. It, it, to me, it doesn't make any sense as a start. I don't understand how we can have the best, arguably the best player in the league and, and we seem to have this incredible record without him. It, just, it kind of boggles belief. But um, but yeah, anyway, let's move on. I thought overall, defensively, it was a very, very accomplished performance. And I thought Michael Hector, he had a few critics with the Birmingham game, but I thought he had, overall had a fantastic, uh, fantastic game, a very, very good one-to-one battle with Lewis Grabben. What did you think of uh, of Hector today and his overall performance, Ben?
3: I thought like um, it was a massive step up against the Birmingham game. He looked to have that extra half-yard back in his step and I thought positionally he was really good against one of what can only be described as one of the top strikers in the league, someone that's already scored 19 goals this season and was clearly going to be Forrest's main threat. I feel like he kept him under control completely um, and he marshaled the whole defence really well. As, as Dom and Jack have said, like we look much better as a defensive unit um, throughout this game and I thought we were effective um i thought he he uh cleared up tim ream's blushes quite a few times and especially when tim ream decided to be absolutely bodied by grab and he done well to to tidy up afterwards so yeah i was i was happy with hector's performance there also something i'd like to note is that the sky guys definitely listened to our podcast because they were saying how bad he was in the, in the run-up to that game um so
1: yeah shout out to you guys cheers it's <laughs> right he, he loves that that uh sort of like floaty sort of diagonal ball to the left-hand side, doesn't it? How many times a game do you reckon he tries to pull that one off, on average? Uh, at least 25. He's, and also, as we, why... were
3: saying, we were saying before we come on there, he's definitely the 2020 version of Zap Knight.
1: <laughs> and why never to the right, either? It's always always down the left, always down the left. Anyone else notice that? Anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're, you are right, <laughs> but I imagine it's that's just to... the way that he's facing, right? It's just I mean, quite easy know. to and also, yeah, yeah. your body, really. There's a point though that you know we Tim Ream had that had that moment early doors where he just sort of fell over and it was really quite weird and, and bizarre, right? And yeah. and Alfie Morrison was back on the bench today, and uh, you know Tim Reams had a had, had a kind of rocky road since he's come back from lockdown. I think you know there's there's been Hector critics, but I think that Reams probably been the worst of the two. It, it, in as a kind of general point it, against Birmingham, I thought Hector had a worse game, but on the whole, I think Ream has been the the poorer of the two centre halves since we've come back. And I'm interested to see if Alfie Mawson coming back to fitness paired with Michael Hector might be something that Scott Parker experiments with.
2: We don't mm-hmm. need Mawson. We've got Le Marshall on the bench,
0: mate. That is true. There is a, there is a fit again, Maxime Le Marshall. We don't yes. concede once MLM comes on together. <laughs> That's it. It's, it's the MLM end season. of. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong, Dom. Not
1: wrong. It's a, it's a classic five at the back tactic when we're trying to hold on to a goal. It's brilliant. I do, I've do. i been doing the exact same thing on FIFA for over 15 years and it never fails. Not specifically <laughs> with Maxine Le on, but, um, but anyway. Anyway, I haven't talked about the goal. What, what a ping from Harriati. He, he only scores screamers, doesn't he? Uh, it, how many goals has he got from, for us now? Three. And they've all been outside of the box. Absolute. To be fair, he never gets him. in the box. Yeah, so it, it would be very difficult for him
0: to score a goal in the box. <laughs> None of
1: midfielders get in the box. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's true. there's nothing quite like seeing uh, an, a long-range effort from Fulham, and it got me thinking. What do you think? It uh, this, this season is it's going to be up there with one of the goals this season? A bit of luck, you could argue. It could have been uh, potentially a handball. I personally didn't think. I think it would. Have been I think it's only a
2: handball if VAR in, is in the game.
1: Yeah. I think
3: without VAR, it's never a handball. it, was, it well, wasn't considering it, the one that was ruled out of the weekend uh, in the Spurs. Oh no, sorry, last week in the Spurs game, that, they would definitely have given that one as VAR. Oh,
2: yeah, when it was handball, just was it, was it was it pelted was it Lucas? It was pelted out and hit his arm? Well? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, we talked about the penalty being the penalty shout we had a couple of weeks back in the box where the ball bounced up and, and hit a hand, and people were like, well, it's not deliberate, so therefore it can't can't be a penalty, and it, it really was one of those it, against Leeds, and and so that if you are giving that, if you are not giving that, then it's not a handball. Mm, I suppose not. I tell you what was
1: a, a a handball and should have been a stonewall pen was on the eighty sixth minute. I can't remember who was it from um, the Nottingham Forest, that uh, how that was not given... You know, they, it might they, have been the...
2: Ribeiro, but I'm not doing it. Was it Figueroa, was Figueroa, wasn't it? Fig- Figueroa. They all sound like South American regents you got
1: from Botafogo. <laughs> 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 but I, I just can't understand how that, could, how that wasn't given on 84 minutes. Did, was or, anyone else streaming at Italian? Am I the only one? I, you boys well, don't, no. don't seem to agree with me.
0: No, it was. It probably was a penalty, but I also was more annoyed because if Anthony Knockout had just carried on instead of turning around, he would have had just a shot on goal from about three yards out. Um, at, he almost certainly would have missed because he wasn't cutting in the right way. But, but if I, you know, in, in truth, yes, I thought it was a penalty. But ultimately, I was more frustrated at knockoff and not just playing to the fucking whistle.
1: <laughs> That's true. It's, it's knockoff all over, isn't it? Like the, the chance to be, have a bit of theatrics or whether to do something efficiently. You know which one he's going to take nine times out of ten, don't you? But not anyway... Right. Yeah so I mean I think overall it was a uh, it was it was a strange game I thought it's been it was a game that I think was pretty consistent with uh post sort of lockdown games so far and it's been it's somehow end to end although not the highest end to end and entertaining to watch however not the highest quality I don't I don't understand how that's happened but again it was a very measured performance and you know to, to add to your point Jack I think Scott Parker's has done exactly what he set out to achieve today and perhaps at the cra- at, if it was you know a, a live game with fans, it would have been sort of played out slightly differently. But yeah, it, there's so many negatives that, that you can focus on. And, you know, the lack of shots and the lack of creative chances and stuff. But three points to three points. We've won three on the bounce. What was yeah. it, when was the last time we had three wins on the bounce this season?
2: Yeah, so give you, the best run was probably the four in a row between the ninth of November and the twenty ninth of November in Birmingham QPR Derby in Swansea. Oh, and Swansea.
0: That God, was yeah. a that was we missed Mitrovic in two of those games. <laughs> I spot
1: a yeah. theme occurring. Was he suspended for a red on that one
0: as well? No, five bookings. No, five bookings.
2: bookings yeah. Oh yeah, because he got the fifth booking uh, at Birmingham, didn't he? Yeah.
0: Yeah, correct. Yes, yes, yeah, having fifth. a fight with a fifteen-year-old or something. <laughs> yeah. Didn't he floor Jude Bellingham? Yeah, yeah, just for like that, no real that, reason. That as game
3: well. was so bad.
0: It was. That was. <laughs> that game was as bad as the game we've just watched. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, well, again, let's not focus on the negatives.
1: Solid three points and a, a decent platform to build. Do you think that this is effectively guaranteed us a playoff spot? This this win, surely it has. Do you not yeah. think, Jack?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that's playoff secure. Uh, yeah. I would suggest that we probably need two more. Well, I'd say we need seven more points from the the two games if we want to finish fourth, uh, third, or fourth. Mm. And if uh, if we lose two or more then we'll probably finish fifth that would right. be my suggestion but yeah I would say playoffs are probably secure now
1: if you're Scott Parker do you think we're gonna we're gonna see sort of a difference in tactics and try and maybe reserve some players so they have full match fitness or are we trying to avoid you know meeting Brentford in the semis and we're going to try and finish tactically or
0: do you think it's just the case of get as many points on the table as you can no, I think it will always be a case of how get as many points on the table as you can. I think, you know, the higher up you finish, the, the more you give yourself, even if it's just a mental advantage uh, of finishing third and finishing above these teams. And look, considering we've lost twice to Brentford, we lost once to Forest uh, already this season. You know, we're going we're gonna to be looking at this and be like, oh, OK, those are a little bit dodgy as fixtures anyway. So the, I think the question is literally just like win as many games as you have and try and get that winning mentality and, and go into the playoffs in some sort of form. And you look at the two games against Brentford and Leeds. And we were like, even if we get the playoffs, you know, the whole point is it feels like we we'll would be going in in bad form. But if we get a couple of wins more and you know, go into those playoffs with at least some sort of confidence that if we're not playing brilliant football, at least we're very kind of attritional, hard to break down, we win games, even if we win them narrowly, and we look that we, we defend things really well, I would suggest that that's what Parker will, will be trying to achieve at that point.
1: Mm, absolutely well thank you for all your analysis gents we are going to move on to some listener questions after this quick break
3: if you enjoy fulhamish and listen to us on apple podcasts please consider giving us a positive rating and review it really helps us to reach new fulham fans across the world if you don't use apple but want to give us a review head to the fulhamish facebook page and give us a rating there instead thank you
1: Right. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, you are listening to Fuller Mish, of course. We're going to move on to some listener questions. These are from the Kofi Massive. So thanks everyone to, uh, who backs us on Kofi. These are, these are from those chaps, Kofi19. So we're going to kick off with Anthony Michael uh, Pierce Fernandez with uh, his question which is we're going to start with this for you Ben should we just sell Mitro the squad looks to be growing into a more intricate fast paced style of over the last two games and he doesn't fit that system we could cash in and get players we need to play, play that way regardless of the league we play in next season so I know we touched upon you know uh, how we adapt to the style but do you I guess the question that we're asking is do you think that we can cash in and and reinvest in the squad to to more fit the way we play do you think that would be a wise move look I mean
3: it all depends where our league status is going to be next year if we win the championship then he will go Um, there's no doubt about it and we will get money and we will you know re-up the squad I think that's, that's what's going to happen whether I think it's a good idea or not, obviously not. This is a guy that scored 23 league goals this season uh, and has been integral to us getting to the point where we are. Let's let's face it. Without mm. him, we're not scoring many goals, um, and we have to rely on completely different areas, of, other areas of the pitch, to to maintain that balance. If if we didn't have Mitrovic this year, we would be mid to the table at best. I reckon. Uh, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, so, I think I feel like we will sell him. Um, he is an asset that we will sell if we don't go up, and it will be a great chance for us to turn the squad into Parker's squad. You know, if he wants a more mobile striker up front, which it could, it could be likely, or we reinvest in the midfield because, as we've said in a couple of podcasts recently, some of those integral players from that, that 2018, uh, 2019, uh sorry, 2017, 2018 season, sorry, when we went up. Uh, their levels have dropped off quite significantly. We talked about Kearney earlier, who looking a little bit off the pace. Kevin McDonald left his legs in Vegas that year. Um, <laughs> Stefan Johansson hasn't really featured for us. And then it, it leaves you with Josh Onema, um, Harry Arta and Harrison Reid, who are uh, the latter two are on loan. So really, it leaves you with a, a four-man midfield where we'll need much more and we'll need much more quality too. I'd also like to see us you know, use that investment from Mitrovic in the, in the wing backs or, or full backs, whatever one you want to call them. But reg- it all depends, as I said right at the start, where we are next year. If we're in mm. a championship, we have no hope of ha- holding on to Alexander Mitrovic, regardless of what the quotes he comes out and says. Uh, if we're in a prem, obviously we get those that that huge boost of money. Uh, but we also have other assets we can sell off like
0: seri uh, and Gisa if he doesn't want to come back uh, and then a couple of other guys too. Mm. I, would just, I, w- I would just counter that slightly. Uh, in the... I do think that with the market as kind of twisted as it might be this summer and an ownership that have no massive financial concerns, I don't think we have to sell Alexander Mitrovic if we don't get promoted. And I'm also kind of sweeping towards the opinion that he might just stay. And, you know, it's really quite a... A Kind of odd one, but i 'm starting to feel that maybe he 's just like found a level that he 's comfy at, a place he 's comfortable with, somewhere where he basically not can do no wrong because I imagine there are things that will obviously get you criticized, and we, you know we saw that with the the Ben White elbow, but actually. He he kind of is this kind of loved figure and and, and will continue to be by most scenarios at at Fulham. And I do start to think that he might just have found somewhere where he's like very comfy and just could play for a number of years. And I start to get the feeling that Fulham might just keep Alexander Mitrovic for for a fair amount of time. My only
3: concern is that there's going to be some sort of financial implication coming our way soon, isn't there? We lost huge amounts of money. Uh, coming down from the Premier League, we we spent huge amounts on players uh, of money that we didn't have. And that, that's been, well, it's been documented a, a few times. Obviously, we had, we had that special podcast with uh, Kieran Maguire from The, the Price of Football. Um, and, and he highlighted how badly we'd done in terms of FFP and, and how much we do need to sell some of our assets. I'm not, I, like, I would love to keep Mitrovic personally, but I think on a business level... Um, The club can't really afford to do that, and I feel I feel like there will get to a point, regardless of what the transfer market is like, where
0: Fulham sit there and say, you know, how much can we like can we get for Mitrovic? You know, I I mean, I agree, but I just don't think that there's going to be that amount of you know thing floating around in in this market. I think the only clubs that are really going to have the money to make big moves are are those at the top or anyone that's basically got a, a recent takeover. And I think that the likes of. The lowest team I think that can think of that will have that kind of money to spend are Newcastle if they get taken over, who absolutely will not be buying Alexander Mitrovic back, no. and Everton who he has been linked with before, but I just can't mm. see him going there. I, I just can't see Ancelotti being like, "Yeah, what I really want to do is spend forty million <laughs> on Alexander Alexander Mitrovic." <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: Makovic. I, I could I could see someone like West Ham paying,
0: but they don't have any you know, money. They're literally Mikovic. broke.
2: Yeah, like if, I'm, if you look at oh. a team that, that, needs, that needs him the most, it, it's Palace, but Palace are no way paying the money for him.
0: Yeah, they don't have any cash. So this well, is to be fair, sort of Benteke, Benteke
2: did score today, to be fair. To he
0: me. did, yeah, he did. But this is it. So that's the only thing I would say. I, and I'm also not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying he's, he's going to stay forever or, or whatever. I think if the right offer comes in, then, then Fulham will accept it. But actively, I just struggle with the idea of who's going to actually go and spend that money this summer when... The market's so twisted, no one's quite sure what's going on at the moment, and and then kind of seeing where it goes. Fulham might be okay in one thing, is that there's talk of FFP being lifted for a season to basically calm everything down a little bit, and, and basically stop teams getting themselves into more administrative like issues, and it actually might serve us a, a hell of a purpose by basically allowing us to write a year off. and. I would suggest that that might be a way of of keeping him if things are financially as tight as we, as we think they might be.
1: Mm. Is interesting? Do, do the cans need them? They're they're good for the money. We, we're not we're not
0: you know yeah, we, we're
1: good we, for we, cash. We're no, Yeah, there's no impetus to sell. I, I think the way I see, it, he's a player who's universally adored. He's the Championship top scorer, at a Premier League quality, so, and he seems very happy and thankfully settled at the club. You know, he likes being that sort of big fish in a. In a in a small pond, maybe, and if, if we can keep them, we keep them at all costs. That's I mean, that's the way that I, I personally see it. But um, anyway, let's move on to the next question. Um, Don, I'm going to start with this one, but gents, feel free to pitch in if uh, if you have differing opinions. So Matt Pollard asks, who's been the most underrated player for us since the restart?
2: Obviously, if if you're looking at standout, who's just been the best? You'd obviously obviously you point yourself towards uh, Harrison Reed, but. I don't actually I think Dennis Adoy's been fairly solid since he's since the restart really. I mean he's I feel like he he's sort of gone on the cuz he hasn't been on man the match but I don't think he's actually made too many mistakes. I'd probably say Dennis Adoy would going who hasn't been spoke about too much but you know if you look at just who's literally been our best player I think I you would say Harrison Reed but for underrated I think I'd go Dennis Adoy.
0: Yeah, I actually really like that as a shout. I think he's been here and there. Today, I thought Dennis Hadoy was excellent. In, in the games before, and especially in the game against Leeds, I thought that we really lacked any sort of go down the right-hand side. And I think that is partly due to the fact that Dennis Hadoy is a bit more of a, a kind of sit-in defender than the likes of Christie. But I thought he came back in today, and I was worried about it because I think Cyrus has done really well in the last couple of games. Um, but Dennis was absolutely solid as a rock today, and, and, and fair shouts to him. So that's a good call, Dom, from me. But anyway, so we move on to the next
1: question. So we, we have <laughs> Rick Cardis. He says, "A homecoming for Ryan Sessignon. Jose doesn't seem to care for him, so I'm guessing this is um, a reaction to the news that um, Sessignon is up for loan. I believe it is going to be loaned. So I guess the question is, uh, would we go for Ryan Sessignon on loan next season if it's, if he's available?
2: I think uh, that yeah, I think if yeah, if we go up, I think it's a viable option." I think we could, you could, if Villa ended up going down, you could even see us reuniting the left hand side of tr- maybe trying to finally get Mike McTar- Target in, and Ryan Session on the left hand side. You know, he wasn't, he hasn't even been in match day squads recently. I don't know what Jose Mourinho's issue with Ryan Session is. I don't know if it's, some, if it's his workway in training, it, or or what. You know, he didn't join there to be working under a, an outdated manager like Jose Mourinho. He work, he, he went, he joined there because he, he saw what Pochettino's done with fullbacks previously. So. I don't know. Maybe Ryan Sessignon feels a bit bit lost at Spurs, and maybe he does sort of just need to come home. Maybe even even it is only for a loan spell.
0: I am. I would not come home if I was Ryan Sessignon. I don't think that's the move. If I'm being perfectly honest, it's one of those ones where yes, of course, I'd love to have him back. And but these things so rarely work out. You know, think about how many players come back. You know, further on their careers and just end up sort of middling along and, and I don't want that for Ryan Sessignon I want Ryan Sessignon to go on and reach his potential and, and reach the very top of the game and, and if that means going out on loan then that means going out on loan but if I was Ryan Sessignon I would be trying to get myself over to Germany or Spain to try Did, and... you, um,
2: did you see the link with Barcelona today?
0: I didn't, but it's the kind of weird thing I can imagine Barcelona was, doing. Barcelona yeah, is actually in, really weird.
2: Yeah, it was in the standard <laughs> that they've been quiet about signing uh, Ndombele and Ryan Session in a part-in-part exchange deal. So if he somehow goes from not making the squad at Tottenham under <laughs> Mourinho to getting into the Barcelona squad, that would be him him, him in that in front three. You know, Messi on the right, Suarez up top and Session on the left-hand side. Perfect.
0: Well, I mean, yeah. I, I look, I, I still see Ryan Session's long-term future at left-back. I would... I would Rehighlight that. I think that he had to play further up for Fulham because he was too good to to use in that role. But in a team that would actually dominate with the ball and allow him, think about how many goals Ryan Sessegnon scored for us from left back before he made that move, you know, forward permanently. And I do think that that's where his his future lies, as a kind of Marcelo light, if you will. And and I think that if you take that kind of position, it would be unbelievable for him to go and work in a different setup, in a, in a setup that utilizes fullbacks in the way that, they, that that works rather than how Mourinho does. Because, you know, Mourinho has plenty of positives as a manager. He's not, a, you know, he's not, as Dom says, I don't think a completely outdated manager. I think that he will come good in terms of he will bring that, you know, Tottenham squad round a little bit more than they are. But I don't think for certain players he is he is the guy, and and potentially the way that it's panned out with Sessignon there, I'm I'm wary of the way that that might work. So if I was Sessignon, I'd be looking at getting out to a kind of a Bayer Leverkusen or, or somewhere like that on loan to see if you can get minutes and and game time in that kind of surroundings that is playing sort of Europa League football, challenging for Champions League spots in your league. That's the kind of atmosphere I think that Ryan Sessegnon needs to go and perform in, not back where he came from because it feels like a regressive step for his career.
1: Oh, that's very very noble of you, Jack, but I I, I feel I have to have to agree. I, I do want to see him sort of go on, but then I, I think that I do want to see him back. If 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 the option were to come to like I'd bite the hand off and screw the other teams. Um could you
0: but,
2: could you see him end up like in a Wilfred Zaha situation.
0: Where well, just being d- the best player in, in a team, maybe, maybe. But I think that Wilfred Zaha is wasted at, at Crystal Palace in See, the same I, way.
2: See, I don't think, because I, I don't actually think Zaha's that good.
0: Wilfred Zaha it, would start for PSG.
2: I, yeah, but if, you're, if you're looking at Premier League teams here, I think the best team who he'd start for was probably Spurs. I wouldn't have him in Arsenal team over Pepe. And I don't think he, he would get in Chelsea's front three with the inclusion of Timo Werner. So I think for me, I, I, I don't know. I think that I just sort of, the situation where he, would he come back and then, but then as you say, would he then get another move to a big club if he did come back?
0: I just think Wilf Zaha is a, is a player that would suit being abroad. Uh, I, don't, actually, I think he's a bit kind of lackadaisical perhaps for the Premier League and he would actually do really, really well if he just left the UK. But, you know, maybe that's just me. Do you feel the same for Ryan Sassano? No, I do think Sess has the ability to to make it in the Premier League, but I do think he might, given his like kind of physique and uh, and the way he plays, where he's quite in like, he's not that quick, but his stride is so long, which means he can explode past a player. And I think you have mm. to kind of learn that in a way in an environment that allows you to flourish. And I think that actually you don't really get that in the Premier League because defensively, if you're a little so bit complex. suspect, people... Well, yeah, but also defensively, if you're a little bit suspect, people forget that you've done good things going forward. And whereas, like, look, if, if, Ashraf, if Ashraf Hakimi signed for a Premier League side, no one would be like, oh, his defensive work is a little bit suspect. Even it is because you're like, I'm getting Ashraf Hakimi. He's unbelievable going forward. And I think that actually if you did that for Sess, he'd have a similar impact coming back in.
1: All right, very interesting point. Uh, so this, moving on from one potential loanee to uh, another, uh, whether we can make a loanee that we currently have permanent. So this is a question from Instagram. After si- after not signing Ollie Norwood in twenty eighteen, how important is it that FFC sign Harrison Reed? And I want to throw that out there as well. Harry Arter, would we want to make him a permanent signing if we could? If we could keep both these players, which one would you go for? If not both. Uh, ben, what do you
3: reckon? Oh, I I I'd hundred percent say Harry Harrison Reed over Harry Arter, mm. for sure, based on based on the fact that Harrison Reed Yeah, you get some good sell-on value from him and he's clearly been the be integral at the base of our midfield. Um I I'm actually gutted. Um it it probably wouldn't have panned out like this in any in any way, shape or form, but the fact that we could have had a midfield this season of Kenny Norwood and Harrison Reed is Pretty fucking good if you ask me I know it's it's very much um, very pleasing on the eye and they all love a good pass and it might not be you know as as steely as some you would probably need it to be but the fact that we passed up on Norwood and he's gone on to do so well, I feel like if we if we passed up on Harrison Reed we could be doing ourselves a bit of a disservice especially with
1: how good he's been every single time he's played. Mm. do you think we could afford him if if he was to if the op- op- option was to come available? Well, it, I feel like it
3: depends how much you'd be in this market. There were there were talks of figures um, around about seven to eight million pounds, which I think is probably about right for him. And I think that Fulham, as a as a top club in the, in a Championship, could afford that. Especially if we got, as I said earlier, uh, got rid of some of the assets, not necessarily Mitrovic, but some of the players that we bought when we went up to the Premier League, like Seri and potentially Anguisa. With yeah. Seri and Anguissa, what
2: what do do you think either of them will have a look in next season if we go up?
0: I think Angisa
2: would.
3: I think Angisa definitely will. I don't think Seri will. I watched Seri play for Galatasaray uh, yesterday or the day before, and he was he looked well off it. Even oh, in he, uh, I've been
2: I've been seeing on Twitter like the apparently he's been pretty bad all season for Galatasaray. It wasn't there one point they wanted to send him back? Wasn't it?
3: Yeah, there was. There was a point they wanted to send him back, and then the um, Galatasaray have had a pretty bad defense of their of their championship this year. Um, and well, it looks like, based on on what they're doing right now, it looks like Fatty Terim is basically trying to get them to kick lumps out of every other team. Uh, since lockdown, three red cards in four games and uh, giving away a penalty, I believe in every single one of them. Uh, so yeah, they're 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 rolling a bit mad at the moment. our oh,
1: Galatasarayan. Seri's not doing exactly as he should be. Yeah. Interesting uh, takes, gents. So we've got, uh, should we do two more, I reckon, for wrapping up? So this one's from Dan Williams. Does Cabano starting allow knockout to make a larger impact off the bench? What do we reckon, Jack?
0: And well, Dom, I know Dom has a particular thing about this that actually Knockout and Cavallero haven't been particularly good impact players <laughs> off the bench, and he's absolutely right in that they've both looked a little bit cold when they come off. Or, or and see Knockout starts just flying into challenges and and doing the kind of things that you would expect him to. But when he starts, he he often looks a little bit calmer. Um, but he was brilliant off the bench today, so I, I can't really you know criticize him. Do I think that? Cabano is the answer? Maybe not. Look, I love Niskan's Cabano and I think that if he can start to continue that kind of beat the man and get the ball into the box when when Mitrovic is back, then there might be some sort of fruitful partnership that we can develop there. Um, But I have kind of over the course of the season thought Knockout was better from the outset of games rather than f- from the bench. But today he was really good and I think he just deserves credit. So, um, yes, today that, that worked perfectly within the strategy and it was all, um, you know, all very much well done. And, and Scott Parker deserves credit for that as much as anyone because he's he, he brought him on at the right time. He's obviously said the right things to him that allowed him to, to do really good work, actually at both ends of the field. And, and, and yeah, it, it worked out almost perfectly for him so fairly mm.
1: Mm, I, don't, I don't think it was a question of, did he deserve to get dropped. drop? It. it was more a question of, it, it, is he at his best uh, as a sort of impact substitute? Because, you know, he plays at such a high intensity and occasionally yeah. has a sort of tendency to burn out as the game goes on. Does bring it on with fresh legs. I know, Dom, you, you've spoken on a, a past that how Cavalera isn't good off the bench. But I, I would argue that maybe knock on this this could be where we get the most out of him because he's obviously got potential he just doesn't seem to be clicking as such and perhaps this could be the answer what do you think Dom? i think yeah
2: just jack said it today is probably the first time i can say he's come off the bench and made an impact i i think in he made an impact in such as i've said it before that one of his best abilities is time wasting like i genuinely think that's one of the best parts of his game i remember i don't, I don't <laughs> think he started the away game at reading i think he came on for that game as well And it was was definitely. I think it might be that game. It was some sort of. He just does the little things that sort of make make the clock tick on. And I think so. There's that. There's that asset which he is an asset off the bench in that sense, but not necessarily making an impact going forward as he would be as an attacker. But yeah, I think today was fine. I think Cabano. I I love love Cabano more than anyone else does, but I think his. it's, it's, It's a weird. I think everyone loves his personality as opposed to what he brings <laughs> as a footballer which i think you you do need often in, in a player in the squad but yeah i think that it i'm very interested to see what front three scott parker goes with in, in that game
1: mm, you say that i feel the same about dennis adoy just it, it does bring a lot to your overall kind of attitude and it, it makes you slightly more forgiving when, when they don't perhaps have the best games as well it's, it's definitely an interesting uh interesting argument um, so, yeah, we'll do one final question. Uh, this is from D Collier. And obviously all the games are massive, but how big could the West Brom match be? Now, I, I feel the general consensus is that it could just be out of reach, but if West Brom lose tomorrow, do you think there's still a chance that we could sneak in the top two?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, it has a... Potential to be huge, I completely agree. But I still think you know we're fourth. We're not third, uh, and and the Brentford have have come back, unfortunately, from from being one nil down with 13 minutes to go to win two one. And that's one disheartening, but two you know indicative of the fact that maybe they aren't going to bottle it. Uh, and mm. I thought they might. I really did. I thought you know given their record in playoffs, given the whole thing around the club if they do not make that top 2 then there is always going to be that kind of fear that they've never won a playoff you know and and they've mm. never they've never got through that so there's that kind of thing but equally at the same time you um you know so therefore us beating West Brom might open the door for them and and that might be you know just as bad. so look if if by the time we get to that West Brom game, Brentford might have dropped points, we might be in third place. if we happen to be four points behind West Brom and in third by the time we play them, then yeah, absolutely do it. Um, But it is one of those things where you're always wary of opening the door for someone else as well, and especially that lot from up the road. So it has the potential to be massive. I still think the automatics are slightly too far off. The fact that if West Brom win tomorrow or win their game in hand, there'll be seven points clear with four games to go. Uh, I think that's going to be too much. If they lose it, then then maybe things might be on, but uh, I still think it's going to be out of reach
1: oh okay well I mean I was about to say the eternal optimist but you know we'll see we'll see yeah strange things have happened in football haven't they so, oh absolutely 100% cool so uh, yeah thank you so much for your uh, for your time this evening gentlemen I hope you've enjoyed uh, our analysis listeners I've been joined by Don Betts it's alright oh, cheers Ben <laughs> thanks mate that's alright <laughs> yeah, thank you Jack thanks for having us George
0: out to no Scott worries. Parker got everything right tonight and uh, and should be praised for it
1: Okay, so looking forward to Friday. The Fulham boys are back in action against Cardiff. Let's hope for a, um, a repeat of today's performance and another three points. Have a good week until then, and we'll catch you very soon. ta Toodles. Toodle. <laughs>